Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about restoration after abuse. But before we jump into that topic, I want to take a moment to remind you of PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community. And if you are benefiting from what you're hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. You can find out more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. All right, friends, let's jump into another question today. This has to do with restoration after abuse and the questioner writes this have you have you seen a marriage restored after the husband has sexually and physically abused his wife if so what factors would need to be present in the marriage for that kind of restoration to occur and that's a difficult question it's one actually that a, a lot of us um don't answer in a a format like this. I'm a little hesitant even knowing that, you know, hey, I've got 20 minutes. How are we going to frame this? Uh, but I want to to give it a shot because it is a common question. I think there's some um, dynamics to this particular question that, that should be addressed. So in general, first of all, to answer the question, you know, have you seen a marriage restored after the husband has been sexually or physically abused, abusive toward his wife? The answer is yes. That's in general. But I think the best answer would be yes, but. I want to make sure that we are very clear from the outset that not all relationships are the same and not all abuse is the same. And so I do think in this work there is a danger on two fronts. One is to speak too generally. Um, and sometimes we as helpers get caught in that trap where uh, we want clean definitions and we want uh, systems and we want uh, clear responses as if all abuse can be packaged into the same variety, the same um, you know categories, and then addressed in the same way. But Understand that abuse tends to escalate. It it looks differently in each relationship because it's about um, these aspects of power and control. It, it can take multiple forms. And when you include aspects of fear and threat and loss and the things that accompany the impact of abuse, uh, then certainly it's going to look different in different settings, and the the means by which it escalates is going to be different. So we we should not simply refer to domestic abuse, for example, as just a general term, like that, that as if there is garden variety abuse. The second problem in answering this question or or dilemma, possible landmine, is where helpers can sometimes generalize concepts of abuse. Victims can sometimes personalize solutions to abuse. So, for instance, if I were to say simply, yes, restoration is possible, and here's the things you should look for, and here's how you accomplish such restoration, then the temptation then falls upon a current sufferer 
to to possibly say, well, then that must apply to my situation. Or if my situation doesn't have the same outcome as the situation, the situation that Pastor Chris just described, then I must be doing something wrong, or perhaps God is doing something wrong. There are all of these possible temptations when we personalize solutions to abuse and all of these potential problems when we generalize all abuse. So back to the question and trying to handle it responsibly, have you seen a marriage restored after the husband has been sexually or physically abusive towards his wife? Yes, but it is important to understand, first of all, because one case has seen a resolution that that's seen restoration following sexual and physical abuse does not mean that every situation will see a restoration. Two, just because we can say in the general that this case ended in restoration doesn't mean that we as helpers can assume that all cases can end in restoration because abuse is very different. It's very specific to the case. Uh, it's, it's also specific to the people involved in the case. And so the, the quick answer is yes, but. So let's talk a little bit about the, the buts, the cautions in working cases of restoration when physical and sexual abuse has been present. I appreciate the, the questioner wording it that way because I, I think they are communicating. I'm going to make an assumption here, but I'm going to assume that they are communicating from a place of recognition, that they recognize that when abuse escalates, when it moves up the ladder of severity, as it were, and that's not to diminish any form of coercive control. It is to illustrate that every relationship tends to escalate in our sin towards our partner without an intervention, without conviction, without intentionality. We will go back to the most effective tactic that got what we wanted. And that is true in abuse. Once an abuser has climbed the ladder to the point of name-calling, they will return to name-calling quicker, right, uh, with more ease the next time than they did the first time, uh, especially if it was effective. And without conviction or confrontation or, um, you know, rationally putting that in perspective, uh, they will return. And as abuse is continued to be resisted, it will escalate. And so once someone has escalated to the point of physical assault, it has reached a severity that while I'm not saying is more damaging, say, than longstanding emotional abuse, I'm just saying the severity of harm, immediate harm, has escalated to the point of saying restraint, or uh, slapping, or kicking, or hitting, or you know strangulation. Those are actually very different forms of physical assault. Not to mention that when a husband, let's say a 6'3", 220-pound husband, does that to his perhaps petite wife, right? the dynamics of gender and masculinity and femininity and created order do play a part in that. Now, again, I'm not giving women, you know, the green light to hit their husbands, but I am saying that the impact is quite different from a wife who loses control and slaps a husband to a husband who loses control 
and backhands a wife. It is a very different dynamic that we're talking about. And we love to mutualize and we love to, to, to make things equal, but we have to be honest enough to say that's not equal. While both may be, may be sinful, there may be a condition of the heart that's leading one to act out physically uh, through the use of force, one contains more weight than the other, and with that contains threat, fear, tremendous amount of intimidation that perhaps is not present in the other. And I bring that up uh, because, again, the questioner has talked about a husband being physically forceful. Now let's ratchet it up more uh, beyond restraint or even beyond strangulation, which is a very significant physical form of harm. Now we're talking about sexual harm as well. And that could be Maybe one rung on the ladder might be sexual coercion. And again, I, I'm only categorizing just to help us see the power of severity as opposed to saying that one's more acceptable than the other. Um, sexual coercion is not acceptable, but I think you can see a difference between a sexually coercive husband who perhaps uses guilt tripping versus the potential harm for the rapacious husband who uses physical force and dominance uh, to cause not just sexual and emotional harm, but then uh, levels of physical harm uh, in their relationship. And so I bring that to the table to say, can there be restoration after such harm? And the answer is yes, but in my experience, the more severe the behavior, the more severe the deviation, the more the farther up the ladder we go, the more difficult it is to pursue restoration because there are at that point so many barriers to restoration. And if the goal becomes restoration, then sure, you can probably restore that back to some form of coercive dominant relationship, maybe even a safer form of that where there's less physical harm or sexual harm, but restoration's not the goal in these cases other than restoration to Christ. When we're talking about full repentance, we are then asking a victim, are you safe after having been harmed significantly? So I know that for some, you know, comparing and contrasting the severity of a sinful behavior is very uncomfortable, but I do believe that it makes a difference in attempts at restoration. Um, it, it is quite different. It is a quite different conversation, I should say between your husband has historically been manipulative sexually in attempts to um, get you into bed versus the husband who has consistently raped you in that same period of time. Neither is good. Both are sinful, sexual sins, right? Um, but one has such a gravity to it that the process of Repentance may not include uh, restoration of the relationship. In other words, will this individual who has been raped trust their rapist? And should we be making that a key issue in our counsel and care? And, and I say it that way because I do believe that some of us do make that a key issue. That in spite of long-standing rapacious behavior, 
we insist on restoration as a way of honoring God versus some of us who go, the longstanding rapacious behavior, yes, we want to see repentance and forgiveness, but do we place a person back in that situation? Do we pressure them to restore a sexual relationship when that prior relationship was so wicked? I would say no. I I think an individual should have freedom and agency uh, to reject such a relationship. And I know some have a problem with that. But again, it goes back to the question, yes, but have I seen physical and sexual abusive relationships restored? I have. Um, But severity matters. Intensity matters. And I think that's been true of every um, relationship that I have seen restored. You know, the more severe, the farther up the ladder uh, an individual goes in their corruption and their wickedness and their behavior, the more difficult it is to see a relationship restored for a couple different reasons. One, you're often dealing with a very hard-hearted person, and so the possibility of repentance or the probability, I guess I should say, of repentance is pretty low. That an individual who is that hard-hearted and that seared is going to make a complete turnaround uh, is rare. It does happen, but it is rare. Uh, and then when it does happen, um, to test that, to put those fruits of repentance to the test may take a significant, does take a significant amount of time. So the second side of that, the other side of that is uh, the escalation actually shows the severity of the self-perception, the corruption, um, and the the wickedness. And so the escalation is key. You know, as we go up that ladder, it is difficult to climb back down. Uh, and so I have to say, I think, yes, but. Now, on the other hand, I am not the one who is either married to the individual. I'm not the one who has been sinned against. And so I feel much less of an obligation to pursue restoration either way. And and again, for some, that's difficult to hear. And uh, there are folks who disagree with that, but I have not been sinned against. I was not raped by that individual to, to be very blunt. And so I can tell you as somebody who has worked with victims of marital rape and perpetrators of marital rape, my desire for relationship is difficult. I have a hard time as a third party maintaining a relationship and practicing the things that I'm supposed to practice as a believer. And why would I be holding his victim to a higher standard than I have for myself? I'm cautious about my relationship with him. I'm guarded. I'm intentional. And so I want the victim to, to be intentional and guarded as well with extra um, layers of protection for her because she is actually the victim. She has been harmed. If I am uncomfortable with his rapacious behavior and attitudes, then certainly she must be. And I should be willing to stand in the gap in between that. I, I hope this is making sense as as I'm speaking into this microphone, I can't, obviously I can't see anyone's face as we're listening, but I do think there is a disconnect again 
when we as helpers see abuse as this general topic, right, which it is in many ways, it's, it's language that we use to try to capture certain aspects of wickedness and sin. But once you're dealing with real people in real situations and you're hearing real data and you're listening to real scenarios and you're getting real disclosures, then we're not simply dealing with general ideas that require, you know, let me go to my file folder and pick out, oh, this is this is abuse A, I'll apply the solution A. It is not a formula. Uh, it is a matter of care and compassion and concern and confrontation. And so my hope is that we would be discerning as people, that we would be willing to pray in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to be dependent upon the sufficiency of the Scriptures, that we would lean into what we're hearing and then deliver content that is appropriate to the people that we're dealing with. And yes, restoration is possible, but I want to be honest. As I hear the story, right, so I might put myself in a care situation as I hear the story. And I usually deal with husbands. And you know, as I hear you say that, yes, you, you forced yourself upon your wife. Yes, you strangled your wife. Um, yes, you restrained her or you locked her in a room in the house. That concerns me, right? And it should concern you. And that's often a conversation. The reality that I'm far more concerned for her safety than you seem to be troubles me. It just troubles me because what you have described is so dangerous that the fact that you seem to see it or seem to communicate it as a right that you have, as an entitlement, as as if to say, well, what else was I supposed to do troubles me. And I think it should trouble you to the point that uh, you want to make different decisions, that you want to kind of change the way that you think on this. So, Yes, I have seen restoration. Restoration is possible. Some of the things that you're looking for is safety, sanity, um, full disclosure, ownership, taking responsibility, repentance, validating the experience of one's partner. Um, And while I have seen restoration, I think it's important to recognize that as abuse escalates, as the severity increases, so does the danger, right, and the concern and the need for patience uh, in our practice as we walk through restoration plans with individuals. Our goal should not be restore the marriage by whatever means necessary. You know, our, our plan should be more about safety and sanity and security while at the same time holding someone accountable and seeking full repentance and restoration to the Lord. I hope that was helpful. Um, My attempt to unpack that in about 20 minutes or so, maybe we'll revisit that in a future episode because it's it's a good conversation. Yes, but uh, I hope that's a good reminder for you to not approach abuse as just a general topic with a, a set list of solutions or to guard yourself against personalizing the realities of another person's relationship and making it yours, but instead understanding that every relationship is unique. 
and every abusive relationship is dynamic and moving and fluid. Uh, and, and while there are so many common elements of abuse, there are so many unique aspects of abuse as well. Thank you guys for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. Like, rate, review, follow, subscribe. Do whatever the platform you're listening on uh, asks of you. Let them know that you appreciate the, the PeaceWorks podcast. We so appreciate you guys. Thanks for being part of the PeaceWorks family. Until next time, God bless.